Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Stocks rallying and putting the Dow on track to finally snap that eight-week losing streak on new signs inflation may be slowing. The most important hour of trading starts right now. Welcome to The Closing Bell. I'm Scott Wapner in today for Sarah Eisen. Let's take a look and see where we stand with one hour to go in this trading week. You can see we've had a nice day uh, going and we are holding on to those gains. There are a lot of superlatives you could say. I mean, the Dow's holding on above 33,000. It's been an obviously uh, strong week for stocks, but if you really put into uh, focus the fact of where we came from the intraday lows on last Friday, Dow's up better than seven and a half, almost eight percent. So that's the market picture right now. Technology, real estate, consumer discretionary are leading the gains today. All 11 sectors are in the green. Tech is having a huge week. And coming up, investor Eric Jackson gives us his outlook for that sector and the three stocks he thinks have never been cheaper. Let's get into the market right now. Stocks seeing a lot of boost today following some new government data that shows the pace of inflation slowed in April. The Nasdaq up more than two and a half percent, making new session highs. A new note, though, from Citi today says it is time to get defensive on U.S. equities. Let's bring in Jason Pride from Glenn Mead and Barry Knapp from Ironsides Macroeconomics. Guys, it's great to see you. Barry, to you first. Are we putting together something here to build on or are we just thinking of false hopes? No, I, I let off um, uh, Squawk Box a week ago Thursday and described how these Fed policy normalization-related corrections are really your second best window to put money to work if you didn't buy the lows of the recession. So if you think back to the end of QE2 uh, in 2011 or even QE1 in 2010, these drawdowns on fears that the Fed's going to be tightening into a slowdown are generally way overdone, particularly early in the business cycle. And these are great entry points. So I thought there'd be a 12% forecast, which is the average Fed policy-related correction this year. We went to 20, which is on the outside of those. It's as big as the one in 11 or the one in 18. But at this level, um, we'd have to have a deep recession. The median decline for recessions is 24%. We'd have to have a deep recession to justify further downside in uh, particularly in cyclical sectors. So I think this is, you know, this is the start of, of the recovery from the Fed policy normalization correction. Wow. Uh, Jason, do you buy it? Do you believe what Barry has to say? Look, Scott, I think actually this is a little bit harder than that. We started at higher valuations, so you know the possibility of a decline uh, being a little bit deeper is a little bit higher. We are now in the late stage of the economic cycle. Late stage tends to come with it. Lower returns for equities, rising yields, and better returns for fixed income makes fixed income more competitive. It means you need to have a more balanced portfolio rather than just riding the equity wave. So we've downshifted risk back to neutral in this environment, and we're waiting for further indications that there's actually a recession coming because, truthfully, late cycle can actually last a long time. Uh, and we want to be positioned to, to ride that out if necessary, but we also want to be ready for the potential recession if the Fed does take this too far, which I think is definitely in the cards uh, as a possibility at this point. I mean, Barry, do, do I hear you saying that you think a bottom was in as of last Thursday? Now, remember, 
I, you look at where stocks are today and you remember where they were on an intraday basis a week ago at this very moment. I mean, the S&P at 38.10. Here it is at 41.35. The Dow at 30,635. Here we are at 33,000 and trying to hold above that level. Are you calling the bottom? Uh, yes, I do think that the <clears throat> I do think that the bottom was in, and I'll, I'll tell you where I disagree with uh, with Mr. Pride a little bit around the stage of the economic cycle we're at. I thought the pandemic was two things that the global financial crisis and aftermath was not. That global financial crisis was a deflationary shock. This was an inflationary shock. Okay, that's been clearly proven. But I also think the the global financial crisis was a negative productivity shock. And this one was a positive productivity shock. That's part of the reason why margins have held up as well as they have. For all the concerns we have about retailers, by the way, margins in the consumer discretionary sector are above cycle peaks for the last three cycles. So I think that the productivity part of the story is going to become evident in the second half of this year. And it ultimately will mean the Fed can raise rates farther than expected. But the real limiting factor on how far they can go is federal government debt, not private sector debt. That's a very different dynamic, and it implies that we're not close to the end of the cycle. So, Jason, res respond then uh, to what Barry has to say, because he look, clearly look, said I, he disagrees I really with your view. That Barry is, I really hope that Barry's, Barry's right on this, Scott. You know, um, if we do have the productivity cycle, if earnings continue going, look, that is the soft or softish landing that the, the Fed chairman is trying to engineer at this point in time. But that is by far not a guarantee. Uh, and therefore, investors have to be a little bit more wary and a little bit more positioned for potential different directions rather than just singularly focused on the upward leg. Look, valuations still, even after this pullback, they do remain a little bit thick. They do tend to sit there in late cycle, but when recessions hit, you actually have lower levels. So we think this is the point in time where you, you build in some defense. You don't go over too far because the, the recession is not guaranteed. We have to recognize the fact that this is also not a guaranteed continued upward leg. Barry, I mean, we do still have a lot of issues in front of us, right? Um, the economy is weakening. Inflation is still elevated. The Fed is still highly engaged, and there's no reason to believe at this point that they're going to pivot uh, or grow more dovish or go anything other than what they're doing now. Uh, so how can you think that maybe the worst, in fact, is over? By the way, you've seen a lot of markets in your career, Barry. We have not had that typical moment of, and I'm not trying to date you. I saw your facial reaction there when I said that. We haven't had that his historically uh, typical capitulation moment, you know, the VIX is like down at 25 now. I mean, it, it didn't go to 40. All the things that everybody says, yeah, but we didn't have that. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll project my, my friend and your friend's Weiss a little bit. I was at a conference last week in New York, heavily, it was a macro conference, but heavily derivative based. I spent, when Steve and I were colleagues, that's what I did in those days. Um, and one of the things that was apparent to me was that the reason that the VIX wasn't so-called confirming the lows is the same reason why it didn't do that in late 2018 was that investors were so defensively positioned and you could see that in correlation, which implies uh, long only investors were hugging the benchmark and that cash had been raised, that there was no need for portfolio protection any longer. And as I listened to derivative-based investors talk, it was clear they were quite negative and so that cash levels are high that's why you never had that impulsive moment in the VIX. Just like in 2018, we had the big spike in VIX in during Valmageddon in February, but then in December, it never really 
confirmed it, but we still made a bottom. And so I think this is is quite similar in that sense. Investors had gotten position defensively, as uh, as Mr. Pride is is implying that they've done the same. So, you know, because of that positioning dynamic, I think that the market can grind higher. Now, listen, these recoveries off these Fed policy corrections take almost as long as it took or even around that length to recover. So I'm not implying we're going straight up. But I do think that we had a more than adequate adjustment to Fed policy tightening. And um, the, the markets have fully priced where the Fed is likely to go for now. We'll see late 23 how much inflation comes down. I'm of the mind it's not going to be anywhere near prior cycle trend lows, you know, one and a half percent core PCED. But that's really a story for 2023 more so than than right now. I can tell it's great to have you both with us. And uh, I hope you have a, a, a good uh, and thoughtful a long Memorial Day weekend. Um, I could tell you, I mean, stocks have added uh, somewhat significantly since we started the show, uh, everybody. Before I said the first word of the three o'clock show today, I looked down and we were barely holding on to 33,000 on the Dow. Now we're almost at 33,100. Uh, so we've got a 457 point move. Barry and uh, Jason, we'll talk to you again soon. Uh, but we do have some pickup of steam here uh, with about 50 minutes to go. Uh, in this trading week, and a good one it's been. Gap staging a dramatic comeback after disappointing earnings. An 18% intraday swing. It's not the only retailer making a big turnaround today either. We will discuss the outlook for those stocks when Closing Bell returns. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Another roller coaster ride for retail as we wrap up a very busy earnings week. Costco initially plunging after reporting a hit to margins, but shares have now clawed their way back into the green. And we saw massive moves at Gap. Shares tumbled nearly 20% after reporting its earnings. They too reversing course today. Joining us now, Rupesh Parikh of Oppenheimer. He has an outperform on Costco and Ulta. Also with us, Simeon Siegel of BMO Capital. He has a neutral on Gap and Ulta. It's great to have both of you here. Rupesh, to you first. I mean, how would you sum up the state of the retail trade, given what we got this week? Because at times it was confusing. Yeah, no, it definitely was a very confusing trade. You know, I'd say overall consumer spending out there is still strong. I think, I think you're seeing shifts out there in terms of where consumers are spending. Uh, so we saw a very strong spending on beauty yesterday from Ulta and Elf Beauty earlier in the week. So I think, you know, spending is overall fine, but clearly the retailers are positioned to whether it's beauty, the reopening trade, they're doing much better while apparel companies are, you know, on the other side of it. I mean, just I mean, some apparel companies are doing quite well. It just literally comes down to what you've got in the store 
whether you have the right fashion trends or the, or the right things that people want. And Simeon, that you don't have too much of your inventory because we have seen uh, a huge inventory build for some retailers, uh, particularly in the teen space. Yeah, so good, good to be here, Scott. So I think there's this interesting dynamic right now where people are have this perception. No, no one's talking about recession today because the market's green. But like people have been talking about recession, inflation, everything is abysmal. But to Rupesh's point, people are spending. And so I think if we look at who missed, where the disappointing stocks were this cycle, it was not revenue misses. Revenue, miss, revenue beats with margin misses took stocks down. TJX, one of the big winners of this earnings cycle, missed on revenues, protected margins. And it goes to your point, don't promote. What we learned in COVID was you could pull back, you could sell less, charge more, make more money and enhance your brand after years of being forced to grow for growth's sake. I think the question now is who takes that lesson forward. I want to find out why you guys disagree uh, on Ulta the way you do, because it's certainly one of the stocks that we've highlighted um, today. Uh, Rupesh, your rating on it is outperform. And Simeon, you have a neutral on it. Rupesh, why do you like it so much? Yeah, so for us, you know, as we look at as we came into this year, we viewed Ulta as a reopening play. And beauty has been challenged the past couple of years. It started rebounding in 2021. Ulta is a big player in makeup. And our view was that makeup would undergo more of a renaissance this year. And if you go into Ulta stores, they've got a number of brands. So Fenty Beauty's down stores and other categories, well, Olaplex, Drunk Elephant. So between all the strength in their store within these different categories and the reopening trade, we thought you'd see more of a booming beauty backdrop. And you look at Ulta today, I mean, they put up an 18% comp on top of a strong performance last year. So I think, you know, all the momentum continues both at Ulta and within the beauty category. So, you know, this has been a top pick for us, and we still see double-digit upside from here, even after the double-digit move the past few days. So, Simeon, what's the issue then? I like this. I didn't know that I was getting baited into a bull bear here. I thought here I was talking about retail. Yeah. So listen, I, you don't know you don't know me well enough. <laughs> this is this is, this is normally normally Sarah and I are talking some other uh, style here. Now this is fun. I care now. Next time I know. So no, but listen, I think that Ulta is a great company. I, I think at the end of the day, we're talking about stocks, and Ulta's putting up this great performance. Ulta has this reopening trade. How long the reopening trade lasts, I think, will be interesting. But at the end of the day, we just watched an entire retail re-rating happen. Ulta didn't re-rate. Right? All things considered, it's still a very nice multiple. So I think they're doing a very nice job, top and bottom line. I think they have a great category. And listen, we'll see what happens if people pull back discretionary. Ulta, all things considered, did well in the last recession. But at the end Rupesh, of the day, the stock is reflecting that. I got you, Rupesh. I got one last one for you. I mean, why the discrepancy between Tree and General when it comes to the dollar stores? General, you got outperformed. Tree, you have neutral. Why? Yeah, so Dollar General is more of a longer-term call for us. They're, they've been the consistent performer. Year in, year out, they've been able to dump, you know, grow double-digit earnings growth over the past several years. And we like the unit growth story here. Story here. We still see mid-single-digit unit growth going forward. Dollar Tree you know, had, had a really strong quarter yesterday. It's very much on our radar. It is more of a turnaround story, so we are more bullish on a Dollar Tree banner. But at this point, Family Dollar is, is a turnaround part of that story. It has gone backwards, so we need to see their plans in terms of revitalizing that banner. And I think it's going to take some time. So for us, you know, I think Dollar Tree should be on the radar investors, but I think it's still a multi-quarter turnaround story. While DG is a safe, resilient play, you want to own in both good and bad times. And if the consumer does get weaker later this year, we think Dollar Journal will see a trade down. And that's the type of environment that they'll outperform other retailers and other consumer staple stocks. So I think DG is still the one you want to own between the two. All right, we'll make that the last word. Uh, the moral of this story, Simeon, you got to be ready to debate. 
That's what we do. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. We'll have (laughs) you you back, I'm sure. And we will reprise that. All right. It's good to see you guys. Let's check the markets here. Again, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is poised to break its eight-week losing streak. It is now positive for the month of May as well. So it gives you an indication of just how far we've come from the depths of that sell-off just one week ago. We're better than 440 on the Dow. There's the S&P as well, 41.42, a strong 2% move. Bank of America is seeing the largest weekly inflow into stocks in some 10 weeks. Up next, Mike Santoli, looking at whether that means the bulls are back on Wall Street as we head to break. You can check out some of today's top search tickers on CNBC.com. The 10-year Treasury making the top spot, followed by Tesla. Nice comeback there, too. Costco, we just talked about that, the S&P. And NVIDIA with a nice reversal this week as well, up five and a half now. We're back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. All right, we continue to rally. Uh, we are at session highs, but the Nasdaq's only gone up a thousand plus points in a week. Uh, if you're not satisfied with that, then uh, I can't help you out. It's a three percent gain today. Uh, highs of the day, three fifty-five to the upside, uh, twelve thousand and ninety-five at the lows last Friday, eleven thousand and thirty-five. Uh, so that's been quite a run as tech has staged a big comeback. As you know by now, the rally is continuing today. I just talked to you about the Nasdaq. The Dow is on track to break its eight-week losing streak. Mike Santoli is at the dashboard looking at where Bank of America's private clients are making bets in the current market, and they're putting a fair amount of money back into the market. This, this is the interesting part, Scott. So the scene was set for this big rally we've had by depressed investor sentiment and really defensiveness among professional investors. Hedge fund exposures to equities, very, very low. Multi-year lows coming into this. Fear, overtaking greed, all the rest of it. This is the one area, individual investors' commitment to equities that had not really come in much. So every week, Bank of America uh, publishes this. It's basically the old Merrill Lynch, wealthy clients, and they got to multi-year highs, really all-time highs probably, above 66% equities in their portfolios. It's rolled over. Mostly it's rolled over because the market has rolled over. It's not as if they pulled a tremendous amount of cash out of the funds. Where it leaves this is not too far above what, you know, more or less the highs of the post-global financial crisis period. To me, it's less of a headwind than it was. And the other nuance here, I don't want to rationalize any of these numbers, but really investors hate bonds more than they love stocks. Their commitment to bonds is near historic lows. Cash, which is a separate chart, the cash holdings is right back to the long-term average. So that might be a little bit of a wrinkle. This, this doesn't exactly signal some longer-term commitment by any stretch 
to the market. I mean, there are people who are still negative over the medium term who are putting money to work now because they don't want to miss uh, potential upside for the next however many days, weeks or whatever. I think the point here is some people who are bearish longer term who thinks we're we're embarking on something a little more damaging in the market would say, you know what, until retail really cuts back and really capitulates in terms of their own exposures, their own portfolios, maybe uh, we don't really have a sustainable route. I'm not necessarily in that camp. I just think it's interesting that right now we're back into the zone where, look, I mean, 2014 was not a terrible time to own stocks, and we were up at these levels. All right. Uh, I don't know. Right now, we're calling it the Barry Knapp bounce. I don't know. He came on. He called the bottom. I mean, the, the stock market was was great, but now we're uh, up almost 500 points uh, on the Dow. Mike, He'll thank take you. It. Yep. Yeah, that's Mike Santoli. We'll talk to you again soon. Energy is one of the best performing sectors on Wall Street, now up nearly 60% this year. We'll discuss if there is more upside for energy when closing bell comes right back. Welcome back. Transport's among the biggest winners this week. Our Frank Holland looking at what's driving that group higher. Hi, Frank. Hey there, Scott. You know, it's really about concerns about disruption of the U.S. supply chain with negotiations between West Coast ports and the union that represents workers making little progress and now pausing until June 1st. You can see right here, as that news broke right around here, you see these stocks begin to move to the upside this week and they continue to move to the upside. These are a lot, for large part, stocks that focus on less than truckload trucking. That's putting multiple loads in the same truck. Could be in high demand as people go to different ports to move their goods. This week, ArcBest up 10% right now. Spoke to their CEO. She says their customers are very much focused on performance, not price. The speed to market matters or really the predictability matters. Um, and, and those two um, are elements of the conversation that we have more often than the, than the cost right now. And we're seeing the concerns about this disruption play out. You're seeing China to the U.S. East Coast almost double year over year. Also, trucking rates right now down 27 percent year over year. But Evercore says this so-called pause is really expected to be a catalyst that reverses that trend. Scott, back over to you. All right, right, Frank Holland, thank you very much for that. From transports now to energy, a big week for that sector, up 8 percent, outperforming the broader market. This comes as gas prices hit a record high of $4.60 a gallon. As we head into Memorial Day weekend, a year ago, a gallon of gas was three bucks. Joining us now, Tom Closa, Opus Global Head of Energy Analysis. It's nice to see you. Welcome back. Hey, nice to be here. You know, I'm looking at the notes here, and it's a real startling stat. Uh, it really puts it into perspective, too, that you told us. The typical family uses about 90 gallons of gasoline a month. It costs $414 a month compared with about 100 a month during the many pandemic months. You talk about inflation, my goodness. Yeah, it it is a really stiff inflation. And if you were to go to a California family, it's probably closer to $550. You know, back in the day, that was a mortgage payment or a tax payment. So it's, uh, you know, it's certainly uh, impacting inflation for everything. And, you know, diesel prices are even worse. Yeah, Uh, any reprieve? anytime soon? And if so, why? I think we're going to get a reprieve in June. Now, we're going to go up in the next few days and probably surpass 475 a gallon. You know, we're looking at the end of uh, futures trading for June here now, and there's a tremendous bias in the futures market where speculators are about 26 to 1 uh, buyers outnumbering sellers. But I think typically history shows that you rise to a May peak 
and then you drop off about 15%. And that's in the futures price and the wholesale numbers. So that could be a little bit of relief or a respite in June. But unfortunately, anything goes in July and August this year. Why, why haven't we had any uh, help on the, the gas tax side, either from a federal level or an individual state level? That seems to me to be an obvious. Why aren't we seeing any of it? Well, we're getting it on a state level. I think it was Georgia extended their state uh, tax holiday, and we'll see some other states do that. And I am a little surprised that the Biden administration hasn't done that because it's easy and it's not as though it's an indefensible thing to sort of give people some relief and be perceived to be doing something about it. Uh, they've only got so many levers that they can really touch right now. But, you know, people want to see them do something. And I think they will. Yeah. I mean, amazing, uh, really, where the prices are. Tom, I appreciate your time. That's Tom Close joining no. us. Let's take another look at where we stand in the markets right now. Poised, as we said, the Dow to break an eight-week losing streak. S&P, NASDAQ poised to break a seven-week losing streak. And we're uh, we're the highs of the day. Uh, that's a better than 600-point move there. Uh, excuse me, a 500-point move uh, for the Dow Jones Industrial Average, 33,150-plus. Uh, NASDAQ is higher by better than 3%. Hollywood hoping moviegoers have the need for speed this weekend as the highly anticipated and long-delayed Top Gun sequel hits theaters. What that means for theater stocks is straight ahead. Well, after multiple delays, Top Gun Maverick is finally flying into theaters nearly 36 years after the original film helped make Tom Cruise a superstar. Julia Borson looks at what the film means for the summer box office, Julia. Well, Scott, early numbers bode well, both for Top Gun Maverick and for the whole summer box office. Top Gun Maverick grossing over $19 million in Thursday night previews. That's a record for Paramount and for Memorial Day weekend, prompting Comscore to up its weekend projection to $115 million expected at the domestic box office. Now, that is bolstered by a 97% positive critics rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And a hit would be a win for Paramount, whose stock is down about 22% in the past year. It would also be a win for all the media giants who have big budget films coming out this summer, including Disney, Comcast, and Warner Brothers Discovery. Now, theater chains, of course, have a lot at stake as well. AMC shares are down 46% in the past year. Cinemark and IMAX shares down about 25%. And these theaters will have fewer wide releases this summer than they did pre-pandemic. They'll have just 35 wide releases down from 45 in the summer of 2019. Plus, movie theaters also have more competition from streaming content than ever. Today, Disney Plus is debuting its much-anticipated Obi-Wan Kenobi series, and Netflix is launching season four of Stranger Things. So with those big franchises available at home and consumers facing inflationary pressures, this weekend is a key test of both theaters and streaming subscription numbers. Scott? Okay, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston, up next. Stocks ripping into the close. The Nasdaq is up 3% now. Interactive Brokers Chief Strategist Steve Sosnick explains why he thinks most growth stocks need to be considered value stocks right now. That story. Plus, will the big gains for banks and the transports carry over into next week? When we take you inside, you know what's coming. The Market Zone. 
We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, investor Eric Jackson on why tech stocks he thinks look cheap. And interactive brokers Steve Sosnick on whether stocks can continue rallying. Uh, we are rallying into the close near session highs. The Dow is on track now to post its first weekly gain in nine weeks. And Mike, you've had a nice comeback this week. Big jumps for energy, tech and financials, among other things. Yeah, very broad, pretty comprehensive. And, and Scott, I think the market is sort of building a case uh, in the last three days that maybe this is a little more consequential, just in terms of building up a cushion here, right? The, the selling seemed to exhaust itself down in that 3,800 to 3,900 range on the S&P 500. Uh, as we've talked about for a couple of weeks, that's where a lot of folks were, were fixated. And then the last three days, more than 80% of volume in the New York Stock Exchange to the upside. Uh, it does seem as if you're going to have people talking about that being a display of demand and people needing to kind of, you know, get uh, their exposures back up to stocks. That will probably stick with the market for a little while. It doesn't mean back to the highs. It doesn't mean anything. But we are above last week's high. Uh, in fact, numbers stick in your head. 41.23 was the intraday low February 24th when Ukraine was invaded, and it stuck as the low for two months. So now we're back above that. We'll see if that uh, if that might matter as some kind of psychological floor. We repaired some technical damage this week, too, which some are, yeah. are, are pointing to as well as a positive sign. Eric Jackson, to you, uh, technology stocks really rallied back. Um, you've been buying some of the most beaten down names. I mean, some of the, you know, the higher high, once high flying ones you've been dabbling uh, back, back in. What do you make of the space right now? Well, I think there's, there's still a lot to choose from. I'm not saying get in with the full position in all these names, Scott, but you have to look at them and say, hey, these have never been cheaper as public companies. Forget about just the, during the pandemic ever. You know, on a price-to-sales basis. So, yeah, this this week I bought uh, Zoom, I bought Zillow, uh, I didn't buy Snap, but all three of those names um, have never been cheaper on a trailing price-to-sales basis since they've been public companies. I mean, in the last couple of weeks, you want to add some names to your uh, shopping spree, if you want to call it that, uh, Twilio and Upstart and uh, Carvana. So, I mean, you've been really looking at the ones that have been hammered the most. Yeah, and not all, I mean, most of them are cash flow positive, not all of them. Um, but I, I definitely have this fundamental view that uh, I think that the, the, growth, the growth stocks and the small caps are going to bottom before the S&P or the NASDAQ bottom. That's what happened during the dot-com era. Uh, some names uh, bottomed a year or two before the, the broader markets bottomed. So I think you really need to take advantage of periods of dislocation in some of these names and, and look to start positions in them because those, you know, for Snap, this Tuesday might have been it. Uh, we might never see $12 again. It's up, I think, 26% since Tuesday. Why didn't you buy that one? I mean, you singled it out as one of those that you did not buy. Will you? I mean, it's one that I've owned in the past. Uh, I, I think I want to see how some of the other social media stocks do in the, over the coming you know, a few weeks with the, their next set of earnings before I dabble back in, in Snap. Um, with, with other names like, like Zoom, I mean, this is a... You know, this is going to be around for a long time. It's a prodigious cash flow generator. Uh, it's we're going to keep using Zoom. They're going to keep you know doing something with all that cash. So uh, that's a name that I wanted to buy. Zillow is getting back to basics. It's getting out of the the, the, the home buying business. Uh, it's, it makes much more money in its traditional business. And if you look ahead to what they're going to continue to make from it, uh, again, it's, it's never been cheaper as a public company. 
I mean, the tech trade, I feel like there was a moment this week, and maybe it was NVIDIA, right? The earnings come out. Uh, everybody has loved that stock. It's gotten, you know, it was down like 45%, right, from the high. Company comes out, it reports, the stock goes down, and then it reverses and, cl and closes higher. And sort of that was a moment that felt to me that was significant in terms of where the tech trade is, uh, particularly around uh, sentiment. And then, and they weren't the only ones, Scott. Uh, Snowflake yesterday, uh, down big after hours, uh, was positive yesterday. Um, Farfetch, which I own, was down. They kitchen sinks the quarter. We're down 10% after hours last night. They were up 30% earlier today. Uh, we saw it with Alibaba as well. So a, a lot, I, that makes me optimistic about the broader market, Scott, is that bad news, uh, you know, in kitchen sinking the quarter is now actually being bought, not sold. Yeah. Uh, for all of you who might uh, be listening and uh, you can hear the clapping uh, behind me, it's a significant moment on the floor, and it always is uh, at this time of the year when Fleet Week takes place uh, in New York City and service men and women are, are filing right in front of our set here uh, towards the podium. Uh, members of the, the Marine Corps, the Navy, uh, the Coast Guard as well in, in celebration of that. So the big ships are in town and, and those who have uh, made a, a very big sacrifice for the safety and security of all of us are here on the floor of the Stock Exchange. And that is why you hear the clapping from those on the floor as they gather ahead of the, uh, the closing bell here. Uh, it's quite a scene and it always is. Uh, so, Eric, I'll get back to you. I just wanted to let everybody know uh, about this moment uh, that's happening right here, which continues uh, to, to go on. Um, you feel like this move in some of these mega cap names can, can be trusted, that it has legs. I still feel like some don't believe in it. Well, nobody believed in the comeback um, after the pandemic lows. I mean, probably it took two months after the, uh, the March uh, 2020 lows before people actually believed in the rally. So uh, we, can, we can climb that wall of worry for a while. We'll see. I mean, what, again, another thing that makes me optimistic is if, if you start to look at some of these individual tech stocks that have really just been washed out and they basically lived this entire year below their recent moving averages, for the first time ever, just in the last week or so, a lot of these names are starting to get above their 10-day moving averages uh, and the composites like the, like the QQQs or the IWMs. Um, or you know the HYG, like they've all recently gone above their, their recent moving averages. So that can be some accelerant, I think, on this on this move into the first few days of next month. All right, Eric, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. That is Eric Jackson. Let's talk shares of Apple since we are speaking about big cap tech taking a nice leg higher today, up more than eight percent this week. And that's despite reports earlier in the week of a slowdown in iPhone manufacturing due to those lockdowns over in China. Let's bring in Ed Snyder now, equity analyst at Charter Equity Research. Uh, Ed, it's been quite a move. I mean, we were down, you know, we had a 130 something on this stock. And then here we are knocking on 150. Uh, what do you think of it here? Well, I mean, you obviously get a rebound with the rally in the Dow and the NASDAQ. Um, almost every one of our tech names is up strong here, and it's been a long, hard road down. So I think this is a small correction. We'll see how it chases out in the long term. But I think um, Apple, as with most of the Hansen companies and the companies that supply them, have to really be concerned about uh, the long term, the second half of this year and the beginning of next year, with inflation and the U.S. GDP declining in China demand dropping off because of lockdowns. It's not going to be, I don't think, a pretty picture for, uh, for the rest of the year. How significant is the 150 level, uh, if at all, in, in your mind? 
Well, I, you know, at some point, this looks like such a great value, especially for a blue chip name like Apple. Uh, there's really not a lot of risk. The biggest risk is that you're going to see a, a further fall off. Eventually, all the problems we're facing will be passed, and Apple's not going to be going anywhere. Uh, same thing for some of the suppliers. In fact, if you go back to the uh, the global financial crisis in 08, a similar thing happened with Nokia and its suppliers, and they traded off very heavily. And within two years, they were up three, four hundred percent. So. You know, I'm not calling a bottom or a rebound, but if you're looking at the fundamentals of the businesses we're talking about here, it's not really a huge risk to be buying at 150, 130. Um, it's just uh, how much risk are you, how much downside you really need to dirt before the turnaround occurs. Yeah, Mike, I mean, the 52-week low on AAPL is 123. I know people watch it closely for obvious reasons, and we, we typically ask the question, how can the market find any uh, stabilization if Apple can't? What was, and remember, lost the title of the largest market cap uh, company. It is back above uh, $2 trillion right now, so it's been a really nice recovery. Right. I mean, the market certainly can't have Apple fall apart and, uh, and perform. The indexes are just too skewed in that direction. Uh, but, you know, Apple, in a sense, has done its job in, in retaining the vast majority of its two-year gains, even in this pullback. Uh, so, yeah, it went down, you know, 25 percent from a high. Uh, I just wonder what it'll mean if the market itself is, is getting its legs back under it. It would surprise me if Apple and stocks like Apple are the leaders uh, for any sustained period of time. That was kind of that was that was last uh, the last story of the, of the prior couple of years. Uh, it's also, you know, Apple's kind of like your uh, your wartime conciliary. When things get bad, you rely on it. But then if peace breaks out in the market, uh, I think there's going to be, you know, other faster moving stuff that maybe uh, is going to take the four. So, Ed, you know, I, you do start to hear that, you know, let's say energy, for example, great week and, and the stocks have had a great run. And maybe for that reason that you are going to have money come out of that space and go into spaces like growth and like tech, which some are trying to declare uh, have bottomed and that could give that next leg higher. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, you've had a kind of a debacle of the last eight to nine weeks in tech. It's been done consistently. And so everybody's looking for yield. And, and if you believe that there's a bigger recession coming and it's going to last for a long, you look for some sort of, you know, hedge on that. And commodities and, and, and uh, energy are probably an excellent bet, given the current situation worldwide in the U.S. domestic economy. So I think there is something to be said for that. I think that is true. OK, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, Ed, thank you. Mike Santoli, of course, is sticking around. Let's talk bank stocks. They're soaring this week. After J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon told investors Monday that he'd meet a key performance target this year and possibly even exceed it next year. Citi, however, under pressure after Credit Suisse downgraded that stock to neutral from outperform. The analyst there thinks there is limited upside after Citi's nearly 12% rally over the last two weeks. You can read that analyst call right now on CNBC Pro. But Leslie Pickard joins me right now. Some mixed messages for the bank stocks lately. And even as they get a downgrade, Jane Fraser was on the network this week, the CEO of Citi, calling bank stocks undervalued. And that was deemed to be one of the catalysts, too, this week, along with Jamie. Yeah, there's a lot of cross currents in terms of news, Scott. City's main run was fueled by uh, the disclosure by Berkshire Hathaway in its 13F that it had taken a $3 billion stake in City. So that's really why you've seen such a big run on top of the news we saw Monday that you alluded to that JP Morgan uh, increased its guidance in terms of net interest income, which is a really important profitability metric for banks like City, like JP Morgan, that do a lot of traditional consumer banking. They're helping 
helped by higher interest rates. And the market had really been trying to assess kind of the the push and pull between higher interest rates, which are a tailwind for that type of a business, and then just the the issues surrounding the economy, the risk of recession, and so forth. And for much of the year, at least since mid-February, it's this idea that the recession risk was front and center for bank investors. This week, that really flipped. And you can see kind of in the week-to-date performance, JP Morgan up 11.5%, Bank of America up 9% for the week, Wells Fargo up 10%. And that's because rates are back in in the forefront for these investors and, and just the benefits that it could serve for these banks and the potential that recession risk has at least abated um, in the near term. And that's kind of the comments that that Jamie Dimon and, and James Gorman later in the week and Jane Frazier were all alluding to. Yeah. Mike, how closely are you watching these uh, for a barometer on the, the health, if you will, uh, of the move? They're, they're still considerably lower than their 52-week highs. I mean, yeah. at minimum 22 percent and in some cases 30 percent plus. Yeah, it's still, I would say, just in bounce mode at the moment. I'd say that, you know, the, the bank's index up 11 percent off the lows, but uh, had been underperforming for a while before that. I see them basically as a gauge of perceived recession risk and therefore, you know, a proxy for uh, credit conditions more than anything at this level. I mean, as Leslie was saying, the kind of the yield uh, story carried them for, for a while and then was superseded by what people are expecting uh, in terms of you know, credit uh, erosion, perhaps. Uh, right now, it doesn't seem like an imminent threat, uh, but but also there was concern about as bonds sold off, Treasury sold off, it was slowing down the pace of bank share buybacks. They own a ton of Treasuries. There's all these kind of, you know, capital rules that required them to, to keep uh, some cash aside. So I think that's something that might be able to get cleared up over the coming months as well. All right, good stuff. Leslie Picker, LP, thank you. We will see you soon. Stocks are higher and heading even higher, heading into the close of this uh, last day before a long holiday weekend. NASDAQ is outperforming the major averages up more than 3% at session highs. Let's bring in Steve Sosnick, Interactive Brokers Chief Strategist. We got something to build on here. Steve, what do you think? Um, well, Scott, today was a today was a, a great day, but remember, it was on light volume, and the type of activity that I saw was just people buying spider calls, riding them higher, pushing it higher, and then rolling them up. And that's now that we kind of push through 414 on spy into the expiration close because it is a weekly expiration. I think I think that's all been good, but it's it's I think it's more of an oversold bounce than the bottom. Um, not, which is not to say that these some of these moves have been phenomenal for uh, for investors. You are, as I, I think it's fair to say, a traditionalist at least when it comes to looking for signs of a bottom. As I mentioned earlier in the program, you don't think we've seen the classic sign that you can say the worst is over. That is true. I wish I could, um, but right now we haven't seen that sort of you know, get me out moment. We kind of came close. We were very oversold last week, but we never really had that get me out at all costs, nor did we have sort of the the idea that, you know, we're done. I can't own stocks anymore. We're all, we've all thrown the baby out with the bathwater, which of course means that there's nobody left to sell. We've had customers continually buying the whole way down, which means that there is no capitulation yet. Um, and that's the, you know, it's been working out great for our customers who bought recently, um, but it's it's tough. You can't just reflexively buy the dip right now with the Fed being a headwind in your face. But you've had a couple of 90 plus percent, you know, volume uh, down days. Maybe we're not going to get 
that classic sign because there have been some signs during the, the sell-off and, and it felt pretty bad. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and yeah, we, we may not have. And, and, uh, but the problem I see is we've not yet begun QT. The Fed, has, the Fed has not yet begun to shrink its balance sheet, and stock markets tend to react with a lag to monetary policy. It's bizarre. Stocks are great at, at discounting earnings, sales, events, but they're not particularly good. They're more responsive to, um, to monetary changes rather than anticipatory. And so that is, a, that is just a nagging worry I have in my mind, is how will we react when the Fed actively is taking money out of the system? All right, we'll leave that uh, last word for you there. Steve Sazek, my thanks to you. The internals to you, Mike Santoli. Yeah, well, as you uh, you were alluding to, so the breath has really swung to the positive side. People are going to be talking about there being an upside breath thrust probably after these last three days, as I mentioned. So you see there another day where, you know, uh, 80% or so of the volume is to the upside. That's the third day this week. Uh, that sort of collectively uh, starts to win back uh, the, the uh, benefit of the doubt to the bulls in the very short term, if nothing else. Take a look at some of the cyclical bellwethers over the course of this month. Semiconductors, home builders now still deeply lagging the S&P 500 on a year-to-date basis. But you see, uh, they're pretty much in sync this year. The, the cyclical trade got some, uh, some traction, and that's something I think is also a net benefit. The volatility index here you were just talking about, we never got some kind of you know, real headlong rush for the exits as, as evidenced in the, in the VIX. Well, we didn't get up to 40 this time, but boy, we've been up at above 25 for quite some time. Uh, there's been a kind of a slow motion, um, you know, kind of capitulation, arguably, uh, over time, and you don't always have to see the rush. Here we have before a three-day weekend, you're going to always see volatility come in, anticipated volatility come in. So 25, it's non-committal, but it's definitely uh, moving in the right direction in the last few days. As we do head in for the close, the S&P 500 kind of going into this pre-holiday air pocket to the upside, up 2.4% right now on the day for the week, up 6.3%. The NASDAQ composite basically keeping pace with the S&P 500 uh, for the week, also up about 6.8%. Uh, and now sits down about 25% from its all-time high. So it does show you how deep a hole we had been in for some time. As we go into Memorial Day weekend, you see the Dow up 1.7%, 564 points. So we're going to be at multi-week highs and up for the month of May as we close it out. Uh, here's, uh, that does it for Closing Bell. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.